This is KXSF 102.5 FM, streaming worldwide at www.kxsf.fm. And you're tuned in to Spark with Kelly Marlowe. Informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. With over 200 million people feeling that they have a book in them and should write it, this may be the perfect time to write that book and fulfill the dream of being an author. Today, I'm talking with Joanne Penn, who's an award-nominated New York Times and USA Today best-selling author of thrillers under J.F. Penn. And she also writes nonfiction for authors with 30-plus books published in 149 countries and six languages. Joanne has been named one of The Guardian's top 100 most influential people in publishing and writing. We will be talking about how to author your best-selling book during this pandemic. Thank you for joining me on Spark today, Joanna. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Kelly. It's great to be here. With the pandemic and sheltering in place, it seems like a great time to pen a novel or write the book that people always thought about or dream of. I'm going to ask you about writing nonfiction, since it's what I tend to read most these days. What would be the first step if the audience or listeners are considering writing a nonfiction book? Yeah, and I think you're right. Um, People are really considering what's important in their lives. And a lot of people want to write the book that's been burning in their heart a long time. So uh, in terms of the first step, uh, what I would say is don't jump into writing, (laughs) which is kind of odd, right? Because we're saying writing a nonfiction book. But what I want people to, to kind of stop and think about some things first. So Some questions for you to think about. So the first one is, what is the goal for your book? So, for example, um, sharing your story in a personal memoir versus, say, writing a book to promote your speaking career or your business. These are two very different things. And we'll come back to some of these later, I'm sure. But also, you might want to um, consider... Uh, if you want to pitch a traditional publisher with your book, you actually will end up writing a proposal, not even a full book. So that will shape your um, thinking at the beginning as well. And then I would say you really need to consider what are some examples of books like yours or what you're thinking of. Generally, people will have some things on their shelf or they will know, OK, well, it is. I want to write a book on personal finance about getting out of debt, which is something we all care a lot about because I have got out of debt you know many people want to share that kind of journey so go and look at books around that topic to see what's out there and see where you might fit so those are some questions for you to consider right up front before you even uh, start to write it so it sounds like you need to be clear about your goals what you're trying to accomplish and in the non-fiction genre you need to know where that book is going, who it's for, and whether you're trying to promote yourself or whether you're trying to write to make maybe an income stream for it. Yes, absolutely. And even, and I know this is hard, and some people, I almost say, I call it top-down or bottom-up. 
So top down is you might say, OK, I'm going to write this book on how to get out of debt. Let's say as a millennial. So I'm going to, you know, that that's my niche. Um, or another person might start from the bottom, which is write about things and then figure out what the title might be later or that the topic might be later. And that's often how these more memoir projects come into play. But just circling back on where we are in, in the world right now and what's important, that's something I um, tell people up front as well is please write the book that you really care about. You know, we are way past the time where you can just uh, write a how-to book with nothing personal. And I know, um, Kelly, you care about authenticity and really sort of uh, discovering your authentic self on the show and reinvention. So you're going to have to dig deep. I want to encourage people to dig deep when thinking about the type of book they want to write. But all of these questions are things to consider before you even start writing. I want to be authentic. I want, let's say I want to write about the pandemic and the experiences that are going to shape the direction I'm going in. That would be more of a personal experience, right? Uh, versus somebody who's like, well, I've done so many different things. Or I got out of, like you were saying, debt. And I know the steps to help other people. Should we be backing up and saying, okay, which business model am I looking or looking at for this particular book first? Well, uh, first of all, obviously, some people don't have a business model. So someone, let's take the pandemic. Um, it, this is a good topic, right? Because it's the backdrop to a whole lot of things. You could write a relationship book about how your how you found love in the pandemic, or you lost your love, how you decided to get divorced in the pandemic. You could write about the debt side of it. You could write about changing careers. You could write about your health or how you've kept your health or how you've helped someone else or recovered from something. So there are different angles on any topic and your authentic self is going to be the angle that you bring to any particular topic and you and I you know we're crossing our authentic spin onto a book now in terms of uh, a business model so there are people who don't want to have a business model around a book so let's just be clear on that uh, you can write and publish a book just because it is a topic you care about and you love and you want to help people with and it's the story on your heart but then uh, there are people who do want to have a business model. And another category, a big category of nonfiction writers are speakers or people with a business. Uh, it might be lead generation for consulting, for services, for webinars, online courses is another big boom, I think, again, out of the pandemic. And um, that kind of, and that can be a small business or a big business. So I have a, I run a small business, uh, a global small business with uh, books and tutorials and affiliate income and, and a podcast. But then you could also say someone like Tony Robbins, who obviously is a famous American self-help author, actually doesn't make the most money from books. He does have books, but they are only a small part of his business empire with events and courses and coaching. So what I would say if you want to have a business model around writing nonfiction, you either have to write a lot of books in a niche, and there are definitely authors who do that, or you generally have to have a lot of other things that go around that book. And, uh, you know, and that can be made up of lots of different things. And I guess the third angle is the nonfiction writer who uh, is an academic or has something um, topical and who'll be pitching a specific publisher in a specific niche. So as we talk now in June, 
2020, for example, pitching books around cultural aspects and of race relations in many countries is uh, an option for something you might pitch right now. Uh, and, a, and a publisher might pick that up. Or even something like I want to write a book about crochet, um, that which is also something that's booming in the pandemic and knitting. Uh, that could be pitching a, a publisher who specializes in the craft niche. So there are definitely different angles, but I want to encourage people wherever they are on that spectrum. Backing up, when I said business model for writing nonfiction, I was thinking in general, you would have clear goals as to why you're writing it versus fiction where you may be writing it for entertainment purposes and hopefully people enjoy reading your book. In this case, you can write it because you want to come across as a source of authority or credibility uh, or expertise, right? Um, yeah. You want to give advice because you want to be of service. There are people who are using it as part of a business model, part of a larger vehicle that they're putting out there to drive their brand. Yeah, absolutely. And what I found in uh, in my experience as, as an author for the last decade is that a surprising number of people don't have a goal for their book. They actually just want to write their story. And that is just as valid as anything else. But often those books might end up, uh, you know, might not end up making money. But that's fine, too. So take the example of a diet book where, you know, um, a mom has figured out how to help their child with some allergy and just wants to help other mums with kids with that allergy and makes a little book with some recipes in that have really helped her. And compare that to the sort of mass market nonfiction on gluten free, you know, vegan stuff. Um, you know, that, there are those two different angles to come from. And what I think is so wonderful about the time we live in as writers, as creatives, is that you can do both if you like, or you can do one or the other. And uh, it, I don't think it matters as long as you are realistic about your goals. Um, and often people will write what they care about the most first, and then they might do different books later on. So I'm, I'm definitely an example. I wrote my first book uh, back in 2008. And I've written a lot since then, uh, but and my my desire and my business model, I guess, has also changed along the way. So it will also depend on where you are on that creative journey. So it sounds like we should get the book written first and then worry about the goals rather than the other way around. Uh, that would be true. Again, it, it, there's never one uh, one answer, obviously. If you do want to get a traditional publishing deal for a nonfiction book, you will often be doing a book proposal rather than writing the book. So um, many um, nonfiction authors will sell the book to a publisher on proposal. So if that is your goal, then um, you know figuring out what to go in your proposal is a good idea. And that comes back to the questions I pointed out at the top. Uh, if you are writing a proposal, you're going to have to say, uh, who are your audiences? Um, who, who is your audience? What are some examples of books like yours? These are called comparison books, comparison authors. And where do you fit in the publishing ecosystem? And then also, who are you to talk about this? And this is this is a big deal, right? Um, you know, have you, going back to that um, getting out of debt book, have you taken yourself out of debt? <laughs> or are you a financial um, planner or somebody who actually has some expertise or is it your experience? So those are some things to consider. And then uh, obviously we'll get into actually writing the book. But yes, that positioning is something to consider. And then uh, I, I'm an independent author. So yes, I write my books. I don't do um, 
uh, proposals. So it sounds like you should still start with preparing by looking at other books similar to what you want to write. You know, have Mm -hmm. a clear understanding of that genre and who's writing what before you start writing yours. And then... Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. And then... You may not have clear goals at this time, which is fine. You know, the question then becomes, how do you focus on being different and original then? Yes, so this is where you have to get personal. And I absolutely understand how people struggle with this. So let's talk about that debt situation. So you might might be really keen to help other people, but the thought of actually putting the numbers down on paper that you're going to publish and that, you know, your your brother and sister or your friend down the street are actually going to see numbers, uh, that can be really scary. Or let's think about um, diet books, which is huge. Obviously, it's a massive industry, but if um, there's a lot of negativity there as well, you know, why aren't you happy with your body on the one side to, you know, body shaming on another side? So there... However you go about your nonfiction, you are going to have to put yourself out there. Even like some of my books, which are, you know, sort of self-help type books, I still bring myself and my own stories to the book. So that's really the the, the clue. So every single topic has been done before. <laughs> um, you know, you, you cannot be original. And in fact, you don't want to be original in terms of your topic. Because what you want to know is that there is an audience out there. But in order to be different and original, all you need to do is be you and bring your authenticity. So, again, if I talk about my situation here in Bath in the UK, even if I look out my into my garden, that's completely different to you, um, you know, on the west coast of the US looking out into your garden. And even just little things are different. And that's the key to writing a good book is really specificity. Specificity. I can't even say it now. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Being specific is really important. And, uh, you know, bringing your stories bringing your memories, bringing your examples, they're going to be different to anyone else. And that is what people will care about. And this idea of caring is really important because let's face it, we've all read just another self-help book. You know, we've all read uh, the diet book that just said, go eat more vegetables or whatever. But we have connected with those books that have brought a much more personal angle to the topic and have helped us think about our own situation because it was so specific. So, um, yeah, so definitely, and this is definitely tough. You have to mine your own experience. Um, You have to be careful, obviously, about talking about other people in your family, your friends, um, and think about other people's feelings. But you do have to bring your life into your nonfiction book. So use your personal narrative to connect with your audience. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Are there any other essential elements of writing a compelling non-fictional book? Uh, well, in terms of, a comp- I'd say one really important thing is delivering on the promise of your title and also the genre. So, um, if, you know, for example, I, I do have a book called How to Write Nonfiction. If that book didn't deliver on the promise, you're not you're not going to like it. It's not going to be a happy thing for you. So what I would say is you have to make sure you can deliver on the promise. So the book we said on how to get out of debt, well, you better show that you did make it out of debt. And this, this is 
actually a uh, a real criticism of many nonfiction books and self-help in particular or business. It's people writing books when they haven't necessarily been all the way through that situation or perhaps if they haven't managed to change their life in the way that they have. And that's why we care so much about authenticity and about being real. You know, we're all used to seeing things that are not quite true (laughs) in the media, on social media and all these things. You know, Instagram has become a place where we have comparisonitis. And so for me, I think compelling nonfiction needs to take people beyond that veneer um but also deliver on the promise so yeah if you if you've got a book on on um how to crochet you better deliver on that uh that promise and the richer it is in in its delivery and its suggestions the more compelling the book is yeah absolutely and this goes back to thinking about writing before you write because Some people kind of come to me and they've got these ideas for, uh, you know, like, I want to write a book about communication. And it's like, okay, this is a really big topic. (laughs) You know, is it communication with your child? Is it communication with your partner? Is it communication with business people? Is it as a speaker? So you almost have to choose your angle on what you're going to write. And that will also help you write a a compelling book, but it will also help you get the right title. And I want to, and we're kind of thinking about marketing already. You have to think about marketing before you get into writing, really. But a book title, especially on a search engine like Amazon, where people go to buy, um, is you have to think about what people are going to search for. Uh, Say, for example, I talked to a psychologist who wanted to write um, a a book on cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. And I said to her, don't use the word CBT in the in the title because people are actually going to search for help with anxiety or help with depression or I'm sad or I'm depressed. So thinking about the words that your audience use as opposed to the words that you might use is also really important for writing something uh, compelling. So you should start with the title first then? Uh, Maybe not first, but certainly having a good idea about the specific topic you're going to be. So again, if you're writing, um, you know, we've seen a lot of nonfiction. Memoir is difficult because it kind of fits in its own genre. But, um, you know, many people put it towards nonfiction because it's uh, true, in inverted commas. Uh, But many memoirs will have a certain uh, catchy one-word title um, and then they might have a subtitle that would explain what it is and subtitles are very common in nonfiction. so even if you want to have a very catchy sort of one word or small a uh, few words for your main title then your subtitle can be used uh, to go into it in more detail but I guess what I'm saying is it's I don't think book writing is a linear process it's not okay, I'm going to do this, then this, then this. Your thoughts will come together at different times and you will put this uh, together over time. Good to know. I tend to think backwards, so title would definitely come last for me. Yes, well, and in fact, I've got a little tip for you and others. Um, I use software called Scrivener. Have you heard of Scrivener? No. 
It's absolutely fantastic. It's really cheap. It's like 49 US dollars. And I've used it for over a decade for like 35 books. Uh, so uh, software is Scrivener. And basically, you can write out of order, <laughs> which is magic. So I never write in order. And I will never write my book and then publish it in exactly that way. So Scrivener allows you to drag and drop the different chapters and the different documents in different ways within the software. And it's, I, I find it very easy to use. But it is absolutely brilliant for those of us who don't start at the beginning and then finish at the end. And I think that's most people. That's clearly you as well. What would be your recommendation in creating structure in your time and on paper to get the book going and bring it to fruition? Because that's the hard part, right, is to get started and keep and sustain it. Yes. So first of all, um, for the time. So as you said, I mean, if, it, if this is your first book, whatever you're writing, your first book is going to take a bit longer. <laughs> I mean, many people spend a lot of time thinking. But what I would say is the first thing to do is to schedule time blocks in your calendar, as if you were meeting someone else. So you and I both scheduled this meeting in our calendar, because we were meeting another person and we respect each other's time. And that's what you need to do if you're going to write a book. You basically need to say, I respect myself or I respect the creative muse and I'm going to book time in my calendar uh, for the next at least two, three months, maybe more, depending on how much time you set aside. So let's say you can do, and I used to get up at 5.30 in the morning before my day job, because uh, I knew once I got to my day job, I would not be able to do anything in the evening. Uh, so I would get up, I'd do one hour, 5 uh, a.m. 5 to 6 a.m. or something like that, and then, and then get ready for work. And in that hour, whenever that is for you, or maybe you can only do three blocks a week or whatever it is, put it in your calendar. That is non-negotiable, people. <laughs> And then turn up for that meeting as if you would turn up for somebody else, like like this meeting with you and I. And this is the biggest problem I think people have, is that they don't make the time for that book. And they don't respect that creative side of themselves enough to schedule it. So you might put the dentist appointment in your uh, calendar. You know, you'll put your kids' play date in the calendar, but maybe you're resisting putting time to write in your calendar. So that, that is literally the secret <laughs> to writing a book is schedule the time. Then obviously, when you do turn up uh, during that time, I would generally suggest you sit somewhere else. Um, or uh, once the world is back to how it, you know, it might be in the future, find a cafe or somewhere where you can sit away from where you normally do your other work. And first of all, you're going to be starting out with, say, brainstorming your topic, thinking about chapters, um, what are the different subheadings that you might have. So your first period of time you're going to be thinking about that writing lots of rough things maybe doing research I mean research is a huge part of nonfiction. It doesn't all need to come from your brain uh, and then once you've got those chapters then you can start actually writing them and as I said I use Scrivener I don't write in order and that would that really helps because I can just write different chapters and move them around later and restructuring your book is completely normal as well so that would be my number one tip is is that um, structuring your your time and, and setting it aside specifically for your writing project okay so you act as if you're making an appointment with your alter ego and you have to make that appointment because it's somebody else. And you start by organizing how you can approach this. And then from there, you can start writing. Yeah, absolutely. And what I would say is, um, 
it's not easy, you know. Some days you're going to sit there and you're going to go, what am I doing? This is so pointless. There are already loads of books on this topic. Why am I bothering? Uh, or I'm just sitting here and I can't write anything. Or I just wrote some stuff, but it's really bad. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just, that, that's actually part of the creative process. So I would encourage you to push through that phase. Um, and obviously, you know, you're going to go through iterations of this process. But um, this kind of time slot, and timed writing when you do it is going to really, really help. And um, there's a wonderful book by Anne Lamott called Bird by Bird, which I always recommend to people. And um, it, it really is just take it a little bit at a time and you're really aiming the first draft, which is a terrible first draft, um, is, is what you're aiming for in that first go. And you can improve it later, as, uh, as I'm sure we'll talk about. So typically in a fictional story, there's an arc of the hero's journey. He runs into a challenge. There's a climax and then a resolution or ending. What would be the effective structure of a nonfiction? Well, it's interesting because that's actually quite true in a lot of nonfiction as well. So you you are the one taking that journey. So let's say um, health and weight loss books. You know, I used to be really unhealthy and miserable with my life. And then I took this journey and I did this thing. And now I'm healthier, happier, whatever. That is the arc of a diet book. And if you follow this journey, you can achieve these results too. Uh, you know, same with uh, a book on an entrepreneurship, you know, a better business, exactly the same. I started my businesses in a mess and then I did these things and now my business is making seven figures. Yay. So actually the hero's journey is very similar for a non-fiction book. Um, again, some, you know, something like uh, a memoir is going to be very similar. There's always some kind of resolution to an arc of the book. Um, but what you have to think is, you're taking the reader on the same journey as you went through and underlying whatever nonfiction book you're going to write is going to be a journey because why else would you choose a book to write unless it's something you deeply care about and that will usually be as a result of your own transformation. If hmm. you're giving advice, you still should put it into that kind of arc where people can follow why they would care. Yes, or even who they are before and who they are afterwards. So, for example, um, with, uh, you know, my book on how to write nonfiction, that I start with your mindset, you know, the fear and the self-doubt and all the issues you're probably going to face. Like, can I write if I'm not an expert? Or, you know, we talked about originality or how, how what if I'm boring? And then you're going to go into the sort of challenge. You're going to answer the call. You're going to write your book. You're going to go through the challenges of writing and the climax is publication and uh, the ending might be you're going to write another book. I mean, there is this arc of anything. Uh, this is what's so great about the hero's journey and it really does fit to pretty much everyone. <laughs> so you're saying that that's successful in any genre, any type of writing, is if you follow that arc, it will work? I think so because a nonfiction book yeah, I mean, I literally can't think of an example where that's not happening. I mean, what you have to remember is the hero's journey doesn't necessarily end in triumph. In triumph, it can end in disaster. And we, we see that in, you know, different movies. Um, so, you know, it can be a down ending and not an up ending, depending on what kind of genre you're writing. But even something like a, I mean, a memoir about grief, 
um, you know, the resolution is the acceptance of grief uh, at the end. Um, you know, there are some, I, I literally can't think of an example. Can you think of an example where this wouldn't fit? <laughs> I, I know what you, what you mean. Uh, it's it's annoying and well, but you know, in nonfiction, it's not supposed to happen that way, right? <laughs> if you're giving advice. <laughs> well, I think, that, and this is why I think it's important to say you're not just giving advice; you're also sharing your experience, and that's the thing that makes it part of the hero's journey. I mean, you're not going to write a book if that you know, taking the debt topic again. You're not going to write a book if you're writing about getting out of debt and you're actually still in debt. <laughs> That's not the end of the book. (laughs) So you actually, uh, maybe you'll start writing it when you're in debt in order to try and get out of it. And then uh, your your climax is, this is how you made it out. So actually, my first nonfiction book was called Career Change. I was really miserable in my day job. I used to implement accounts payable at a large corporate. Um, So it was very boring. And I was just miserable. They paid me really well. And I hated my job, you know, so I wrote a book on career change, thinking that somehow I could figure out how to change my life. And uh, I discovered publishing (laughs) and that became my new career and writing books became my new career. Uh, So in finishing that book, I actually went through my own hero's journey. And I do believe this. A a guy called Seth Godin, who's an American uh, marketing expert, uh, says the book you write will change your life. And that's the, uh, definitely true. I think some, sometimes it might not hit the heights of the charts that you might uh, expect it to, but it can certainly change your life. So that's why I believe that um, everyone has a book in them. But is it because you're writing for yourself and that's why it will change your life? You're going through this journey yes, yes. of what you want to see happen. Yes, definitely. And that's why I think it has to come from a place of you uh, it, I mean, write, write what you know is one thing, but also write what you're interested in. So, um, you know, I certainly write books when I don't know everything, but I want to learn more and I want to figure out what I think about something. So there, you know, there are many reasons to write. But again, I think it always has to be grounded in your life. I mean, life is short, as we've all discovered, you know, more recently, memento mori, you know, remember you will die. So what are you going to do with this short life? Uh, So make sure if you write a book, you're going to write one that you really care about. How would you approach proofing and editing? Because my understanding is that that's the hardest part about the process. Oh, that's funny. I think that is totally dependent on the writer. I personally love editing uh i struggle with that first draft (laughs) so for me it's like um everything coalesces in the editing phase and i really really love editing so once you've finished your first draft there are lots of potential stages to editing when you're new uh, in the writing world you may want to hire a structural editor who's someone who can help you is this in the right order are these chapters taking the reader on a journey there might also be um, professional content edits so let's say you're writing a, a book about um uh, I wrote a novel, it was a novel, but I needed a volcanologist, someone who knows about volcanoes, and I hired someone to read it from a volcano perspective. So sometimes you can get a professional read like that. You can obviously get line edits, you know, the classic red pen edit. But the big edit for me is my own self-editing, which happens when I need to reorder the whole book. And then um, proofreading really is a tight, it's the very, very end of the process before you publish. And 
and it's like the last person who sees your book before it's done. <laughs> so that to me is uh, separate to editing entirely. But the if you work with a publisher, then they will generally work through that process with you. If you're independent, you can hire professionals of all different kinds. There are local and national editing organizations, um, professionals like myself. You know, we have lists on the websites and it's not hard to find an editor, but it's it is hard to find the right editor. It's a bit like dating. <laughs> um, once you find the right editor for you, you want to hang on to them. Uh, but, you know, the, you need to look for an editor who loves your genre. So someone who's going to help you with the book on um, debt, for example, would be completely different to someone who might help um, the person who was going to write the memoir on divorcing during COVID, for example. So you have to f find the right people to help you uh, at the right stage. The, the reason I asked that question is a lot of times the second draft, when someone else looks at it, comes back completely different than the original context or thinking behind it, right? They have completely changed your narrative. And it's very upsetting for the writer. So from that standpoint, the thought is, it's very hard to have your work edited unless you're open to the fact that it may completely change or a lot of it may change. It sounds like you've had a bad experience. Oh, no, no, no. I, uh, I used to work for a writer for Vanity Fair when I was in college. And the I guess the versions that came back were so different from the original. And I could see the frustration on the writer's face or it was just it's just interesting because what I when I see the edited version, when it comes back from the publisher or whoever the editor is, it can come back very differently What would, from what was originally written. And for a lot of people, they don't want to change. They don't want anything to change. Right. Because that's reflective of who they are. And that's why I was asking, wouldn't that be the hardest part? Because you may not get the same narrative back that you had originally created. I think that's really going to depend on the situation of the book. So let's say you um, do a proposal for a book with a traditional publisher and you write a book that fits that proposal. They're not going to come back and completely change it. They may say, um, you know, these things need uh, these things need fixing or whatever. That's their job. <laughs> but equally, if you've done a proposal and it matches, then it, that would be, you know, they, they don't have the time to do that. Um, and what I find now with publishing is most um, publishers are going to want you to be at a very high level before they even accept. So in my own experience, my editors are, their job is to help me make the manuscript the best it can be. But I am the author and I have the vision for my book. Um, and thus, if I'm serving my audience, then they're not going to say, oh, that's completely wrong. I mean, the best thing, if an editor can help you make the book better, that is their job. And I, I work with editors for, with every book. Um, but I'm not going to ex accept an edit where they want to completely change my vision. That, to me, is not a good editor for my book. And that's why I said before, finding an editor that works with your genre is really important. Um, because otherwise you're going to get someone who's like, well, that's too personal or, you know, that's just not going to fit. Um, so, yeah, I would say people have different experiences, but the editor's job is to help you fulfill the promise of your book. So it sounds like you should find an editor that's aligned with your vision and understands what you're trying to write and get the message across. 
Absolutely. What about other kinds of support for your book in making it as stronger, more compelling? Are there other people that you should bring in to the process besides a good editor? Uh, well, if you, obviously, if you're uh, publishing independently, you're going to need a professional book cover designer. Um, you know, if you if you want to do a beautiful print edition, you can get a book interior designer. You know, people can help you with those types of things if you're um, doing it independently. And then in terms of support in general, I would really encourage people and say, look, um, your friends and your family won't get you. <laughs> and they are not the right people to support you in writing a book. So sometimes it's a, a writer's group in, um, you know, a physical writer's group. But again, that's not where we are right now in the world. So an online writer's group can be really helpful. Uh, there are genre organizations for um, different groups that you can meet online. There are, you know, there are Facebook groups, there are podcasts. Uh, you can listen to and that will help you feel like you're not completely mad Uh, I know how hard it is I mean you know my husband doesn't really get how I do what I do and um you know, my, my siblings haven't read my books. And this is just the way it goes. Um, eventually, you will find other friends who write. But if, especially if you're just starting out, it can feel really lonely. And people people will say, oh, you know, when's that come, when can I get that in my local bookstore? Or, you know, that type of thing. And they'll completely not get what you're doing. So support can also be emotional support. And yes, I would suggest um, writers groups, writers organizations. It sounds like you should start with a community when you're writing to help you with ideas and to keep you going with writing the book. In terms of resources, like finding the right editor and anybody else that would help you along with the process, is there a way or approach of finding them that you would recommend? Uh, well, I mean, again, it's, if you find a community, so for example, I'm part of the Alliance of Independent Authors, which is an international organization for independent authors who take their publishing very seriously. And we obviously have a network of, um, of freelancers who can help, but also uh, uh, down in your area, like the San Francisco Writers uh, Organization or the, you know, there are writers organizations all over the world. And what I would say is um, if, there isn't one local to you, there will be one online. And definitely find one for your um, the type of people who write the type of books you do. That's really important um, as well. And in that way, yes, you can get support, but they will also have lists of recommended editors. The other thing you can do is look at, if you really love a book, go to the back of the book and have a look in the acknowledgements. And you'll also, you'll often see authors um, thanking their editors, their cover designers, especially if they're independent. Good to know. So this brings us to the question of how to approach publishing once you have the book completed. Can you talk about the traditional versus independent publishing and what we should understand about the differences and how to approach them? Sure. Well, first of all, uh, it's not really a binary thing anymore. So even uh, if you get a, let's say you write a book and you get a traditional deal in the US and Canada, you could still independently publish your book in the UK, in Australia, uh, the rest of the world. So I've sold books in English in 142 countries now um, because they are available in those countries and I do international marketing. I can sell in all those Uh, countries. And most traditionally published authors do not have books in that many countries because they licensed their books to a publisher for a specific territory. So this is 
um, one thing to think about. So it is not either or anymore. And it's certainly by project as well. So you'll see many authors might traditionally publish one book and then they might self-publish or independently publish the next book. Um, so definitely not an either or. Then in terms of which way you might want to go, well, obviously, traditional publishing has um, a great level of prestige in many ways. You know, many authors will say, well, I want to be published. I want my business book to be Wiley, published by Wiley, for example. And uh, if you are a speaker, for example, if you want to make money speaking, having a book with a brand name publisher on or whatever the publisher in your niche is might be a good thing. So you might make less money on each individual book, but you will get a certain prestige, a certain kudos for being with that publisher. Then you'll also get help. Obviously, they will do the publishing. They will do some marketing, but very importantly, publishers do not do all the marketing for you. And then they uh, also be a specific publisher who specializes in a niche. So coming back to the crochet example, um, you know, there are niche publishers who work in the arts and crafts area who have great distribution into the stores that also sell the very Various things you need to do that. So there are definitely really good reasons to do uh, traditional publishing. And then independent publishing actually is more and more common with nonfiction, particularly because it suits the entrepreneur who likes to keep control of the project, you know, who likes to have freedom uh, and choose the cover and the ability to change things. This is one of the superpowers of being um, an independent. You can change your cover. You can upload a new file. You can fix things. You can change links. You can um, you, you have control of the whole thing. You can also move very fast. So, um, you know, if you want to get the book up and this is actually my first book, why I didn't go traditional is that they told me it would be two years from finishing the book to getting it on the shelves. And I was like, two years, that's way too long. I need to be doing other things. So I started independently publishing. But that speed, if, if you care about speed, um, also, if you can either do the work yourself and you're happy to learn or hire other people. So if you have a, um, a budget or if you're willing to invest as part of your business and maybe you already have a business and this book is part of your business plan or you're building a business and this book is part of building authority then uh, independent publishing can also suit you and definitely if you understand book marketing uh, then and you have an online platform so many podcasters many bloggers um, independently publish because they already have an audience so they get to keep um, you know 70 to 90 percent of the royalties and uh, you know they'll they basically keep the control but what I would say is there are pros and cons of both per project and but neither is a guarantee of money or success uh, however you define it what I'd also just say on licensing is you might um, maybe you license a publisher to do your print books you could uh, independently publish your ebooks but also your audiobooks so that's another thing that's really growing um, you know, audiobooks can be fantastic. And maybe that's something that you want to do yourself, especially if you're a podcaster um, like you, Kelly. You know, sometimes if you have a voice in the market, doing your own audiobook can be a really good thing. So the main message is publishing can now be mix and match depending on your goals and what you want to license. It is really amazing that anyone can self-publish. Okay, you're independently publishing if you have the right people to work with and to make it polished and professional. 
But let's say you don't. You could still self-publish on Amazon and all the other platforms that's now available to anyone and everyone. Yes, you can. Uh, but what I would say is there are many millions of books now because lots of people are doing that. <laughs> so you will, you can put a book up on Amazon tomorrow and you won't sell any. You will not sell any copies. And in fact, you could put a very professional book up on Amazon tomorrow and not sell any because part of being an independent publisher and part of taking this seriously as a business is also doing marketing. And so uh, having a book available is no longer enough anymore. You have to also understand how to get eyeballs on it. And this is true of any business. So, you know, if you're running a speaking business or you're running a chiropractor or whatever, you still need to get people to find your business and pay money for it. And as much as I am an artist, I'm also uh, a businesswoman (laughs) and I like making money. And hence, as we talked about earlier, having a business model around your books is really important if you want to do this professionally and if you want to do this for the long term. And it's certainly not for everyone. That was my last question. Marketing. Even if you have a traditional publisher, unless they're doing your marketing for you, you would still have to do the marketing. For your book to get out to your audience, you have to know how to market it. And that's the challenge of really getting that book into your audience's hands is how well can you market. So are there five marketing steps that you would recommend in successfully reaching your audience? Uh, Don't you wish there were? (laughs) (laughs) If there there were just five steps, then we'd all be bestsellers all the time. I think you're probably going to tell me you better be good at utilizing social media. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to give you more, uh, more questions. And I think this is really important. So you have to know your book and know your genre. So we talked about that earlier. Where do you fit on the shelf? Does your title, does your book cover fit that? If you get those things wrong, there's no point in marketing it anyway. It has to resonate with your niche. Uh, The second thing is you need to know your audience. So who are your audience and where can you find them? This is really important. So if you want to reach people over 50, then don't bother with TikTok. (laughs) Or, you know, maybe you want to do Facebook ads, which are very effective with the over 50s. Or let's go back to the crochet book. Maybe you'd be best off getting an article in Crochet Magazine or one of the arts and crafts magazines. Or if you're at um, uh, the finance uh, book that we mentioned, the getting out of debt, then why not look at the financial independent movement, which has a lot of um, the fire movement, which has lots of podcasts and blogs and stuff like that. So knowing your audience and where to reach them will dictate some of your marketing. But then your other question is, who are you? And knowing yourself, what can you do that is sustainable for the long term? Because book marketing is a long game. It's not just here's launch month and we're done. It is, you know, the life of copyright is for 70 years after you die. (laughs) So you can potentially make money from a book for a long time. So for example, for me, I'm doing this with you uh, because I've been podcasting for over a decade. And for me, doing audio is my primary marketing mechanism for my nonfiction book. So I do uh, interviews like this almost every day. I also have two of my own podcasts. So for me, this is a really good way 
to market. But for somebody who just doesn't enjoy this type of thing, um, maybe they'd be best off writing articles for um, magazines or maybe they'd be best off building their email list or maybe they just want to do paid advertising. So, for example, um, Amazon advertising is, is a huge sub-business of Amazon, which is basically you have your book there, but then you also pay them to market your book. And if, if people think about when you go onto a book page on Amazon, underneath is um, a carousel called sponsored products so you can get your books under other people's books using those paid ads so really there there are no five marketing steps that work for everyone there are only questions about your book your audience and yourself and also what can you do that is sustainable for the long term these are really good questions. So you need to know what your audience is tapping into in getting their information. And from there, that's the best way to reach them. Definitely. And just and really be honest as well and try and hone it down as much as possible. So, for example, I run, ran a Facebook ad the other day in Australia, which was to um, women over 50 who like um, tattoos. Uh, in specifically in Australia, that was my ad targeting. And there were something like 30,000 people that I could target with an ad. Um, and, you know, I know some people might have ethical issues with these companies like Facebook and Amazon and stuff. But to be honest, in these days of online book marketing, uh, sometimes these are uh, some of the best ways. But there are also other ways. I mean, in-person events can be done. You know, if you are, let's say you are a chiropractor, you obviously want local business. So maybe you want to go to local business fairs, local meetings, again, when the world opens up again. But it doesn't have to be online marketing. It's just that's what I focus on because I, as I said, I sell books internationally. I focus on international sales um, in English. Well, you do a great job with online marketing. Oh, thank you. Well, and I think I, I want people to consider it because it's like a superpower, right? Um, people can download this wherever they are in the world. And people listen to English podcasts everywhere in the world. And that is super, super exciting. So I want you to, when you're thinking about book marketing, it is also, is your book available in those countries? Because if people hear you on a podcast or read your blog or, you know, Twitter, Facebook, these are all international platforms. Can people buy your book wherever they are? And that's almost that distribution, that international distribution is a fundamental of publishing and marketing. So I really want to get people excited about the time in history that we're living in. It, it is the best time to be a writer and the best time to be a writer who enjoys making money as well as changing people's lives. Well, I love how you're passionate about this topic. And thank you for joining me on Spark today. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Kelly. That was great.